All right, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to another episode of the Sons of History. We are in the second week of February, February being Black History, Black History Month. Yes, indeed. And I am your co-host, Dustin Bass. And I'm your main host, Alan Joaquin. Amen. I like the that. Primary, the primary man. The primary. The host. talent. <laughs> Uh, no, you're not the talent. I would say that I'm the talent. You're the brain. You're the knowledge. Uh, well, all right. All I'm, right. I'll, we're having you know, this conversation. It's so obvious. I'm kind of like the Marlon Brando. You know, I'm there for like, you know, three days of shooting in a 90-day schedule. Oh, yeah. What was that? From uh, Apocalypse Now? Apocalypse Now. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, he was something else. After a while, he just was like, I'm bigger than the game. So, you know, as I was watching it, I, I just kept saying to myself, the horror, the horror. Yeah. <laughs> well, Marlon Brando would go, AI, pra practice, practice, no, practice, not a game, not a game. Okay, anyways, all right. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to be talking about um, two individuals. And we may have already given away who at least one of them are because of our clues, our visual clues. But anyways, before we get into that, before we talk about who we are talking about on this Black History Month uh, conversation, Alan, uh, I got a gift for you that is actually a gift from one of our listeners. So one of our listeners, she had bought this shirt, one of our shirts for her dad but it's a little too tight. Um, and so she said, would you want it? Would Alan want it? And I was like, well, I would like it, but I know Alan would really like it. So I have for you, my friend, uh, the history comes in threes, the World War II version of history Perfect. comes in threes. Let me guess, Perfect. did you already buy it? No. Okay. No. no. All right. Just I like it. that. Yeah. So it's Dwight D. Eisenhower, MacArthur, and Patton. So ladies and gentlemen, hmm. you too can purchase your own version of this shirt. Um, it, that is one of our shirts, right? Yes, yes. It's one of okay. our shirts. Um, you can purchase them on thesonsofhistory.com. Uh, this is one of three types. We've got the World War II version, then we've also got the... Civil War with Abraham Lincoln, Ulysses S. Grant, and Robert E. Lee. And then we've also got the Civil Rights era with JFK, RFK, and MLK. So go uh, purchase your own. Now, my friend was saying that it's uh, they, they sort of run a little small. So, uh -huh. uh, yeah, you may want to uh, Keep that in mind if you're purchasing. Um, me, I would still probably purchase a medium because this is a large. Uh, Alan, this is going to fit Alan well because he works out, unlike me. So, uh, show us what you got, Alan. What, the guns? Yeah, show us the guns. Am I going to take my shirt off? Yeah, go. No. Do you want to, do you want to see my inner thighs? Is that your shirt? No, my inner thigh. I'm actually, I'm quite comfortable sitting down where I'm at. I've got wires scattered all over me, so I don't think I can get up to show you my inner thigh. Well, beautiful. 
then yeah. don't. I'm glad you won't. All right. Well, and I think uh, I think for 1995, you can buy my video. It, you know, you can watch whatever you want. It's not a uh, family friendly video. Man, please continue. That's a. It's like you're on a roll. This is. I don't know how many shows in a row this is that you've provided a joke that doesn't land. You know, you might not think it's funny because you're like all religious and stuff. You know, I, I know plenty of people, plenty of people whose minds are as dirty as mine, mine are, that will appreciate, you know, that type of humor. Yeah. Remember, we're a large umbrella. We're not, you know, we're not focused on just a, a tiny niche of people. We want to expand from the libertarian to the it, Republican. It's not going well. This huh? is what you're saying, not going well. You, I don't even know what you're talking about now. I think people know what I'm talking about. I, we're, we are I, a wide umbrella. Our, our, we want a vast audience of people who, who want to learn history, but want to appreciate a little bit of our humor. <laughs> okay, I can't wait to move on from yes. this conversation. Let's move on. I've got right. books sitting here waiting to be Yes, yeah, Can we get to a book and movie recommendation? Go for it. All right, I'm not going to do any movie recommendations uh, because I have four books that I just happen to have that I happen to own. They all. This one's called Ethnic America. And you know who that's by? Yes, I do. I can read. All right. Dr. Thomas Sowell. But wait, there's more. Economic Facts and Fallacies by Dr. Thomas Sowell. There you go. But wait, we're not done. There's more. Intellectuals and Society by Dr. Thomas Sowell. Are you? Uh, I'm getting a. a are you seeing a pattern here? I am. Okay. Black rednecks and white liberals. I love that. <laughs> by Dr. Thomas Sowell. Okay. I go through these and just, it's, it's a fascinating read. The guy is an intellectual, you know, in, in the last, well, when did, uh, when did Milton Friedman die? I want to say 2006 or 2006. 2006. Okay. Then, um, I would say in the last 20 years, the men or philosophers, I should say that I've been most impressed with, uh, Thomas Sowell. Walter Williams, Milton Friedman, and uh, Jordan uh, Peterman. Huh? Jordan Peterman. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Dr. Jordan Peterson. And I'll throw in Candace Owens in there too. I do like Candace oh, Owens. But you're throwing Candace Owens into the mix with those people? Get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here. Although, maybe, uh, maybe, for, maybe for tenacity's sake, but. But no, I, those four, those four, the, the four that I previously mentioned, I think were just if you if you read their books, you will get some of the most. Um, I mean, they're just some of the best intellectuals. Yeah. You know, Thomas Sowell, right now, I would say Thomas Sowell and Jordan Peterson are the two greatest intellectuals. Um, well, actually, they're the only ones that are alive. Actually, you know, so yeah, 
Jordan Peterson and Thomas Sowell, I think, are the two greatest intellectuals in the in the United States, in maybe perhaps the world, because Jordan Peterson's a Canadian. Right. But uh, alive right now would be those two. I think those are the two greatest philosophers right now. Yeah. And we're and we're very lucky to have them both, uh, where we they can still give us uh, much of their wisdom. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think I will stand with you on that one. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. So no movie recommendation. I will, uh, I'll start off with my movie recommendation. Um, so two, the two people we're going to be talking about today are two intellectual giants, um, intellectual giants primarily from an economic perspective, and that is Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams. Um, if you've never experienced either of these two, uh, please get to that um as soon as you possibly can um so the movie recommendation i'm going to uh suggest is one that actually just came out it's called thomas sent thomas sense yeah thomas soul common sense in a senseless world uh this was put together by the free to choose network which was the network that was created more or less uh with a combination of milton friedman and pbs so Milton Friedman started this, I think, late 70s, um, early 80s, uh, put this show together. And so Free to Choose has tur turned into, you know, has continued as a, as a media network. Uh, but this was really good. Uh, Thomas so Common Sense in a Senseless World. Uh, it's hosted by Jason Riley, um, who is another great um, African-American uh, black man in, in America. There's a lot of great work. Um, so check him out. I think he works for uh, the Manhattan Institute. There's a lot of work for them. Um, and, and, and look, I'm just going to go ahead and put this out there. You may have noticed like a little bit of a hesitation when I said African-American, Black American. Like, I don't like pinpointing from a, um, from a race perspective. It's just like, look, if you're smart, if you're brilliant, if you're good, um it has nothing to do with with your race i just want to put that out there but anyways uh jason Riley does a lot of great work um and another movie video that you should watch is walter williams suffer no fools um walter williams hilarious character actually both of them very funny very straightforward uh and what they say they see the world in almost like a, a comical viewpoint um and yet almost like a common tragedy, tragic comedy um, viewpoint. So uh, check that out. All right, my book recommendation. Alan mentioned one of these uh, and it's Intellectuals and Society by Dr. Thomas Sowell. So this is not going to be like a day read for sure. Um, but one that might, might just be a day read is this next book this one's called the vision of the anointed um it's a bit shorter but if you want to just here's the thing with what dr thomas Sowell does he pounds you with facts with data with enough with the you know your idealism enough with what you think the world is like what you hope the world would be like therefore let's make it into this it's look here's the way the world is and here's the proof in the pudding so the vision of the anointed was you know that's the first book that i read of his and it's like 
it just it blew my mind but it also disturbed me deeply because you get a a sense a direct sense and you and i talk about this a lot a direct sense into the idea of um what we talk about with the path to hell is paved with good intentions that people do things or promise things and they sound good but the end result is is really bad uh the vision of the anointed nails that down as i as i know a lot of his books do um if you're also if you're like eh, i don't know if i want to get into all those really big books okay then just go down the rabbit hole on youtube and just watch a lot of thomas soul videos and walter william videos mm -hmm. so. Yeah, you know, funny you were mentioning about the road to uh, hell is paved with good intentions. You know, like uh, the book Economic Facts and Fallacies. Example, you know, one of the first examples he gives is rent control. That rent control was meant to help people, but it ended up creating, there, there were consequences to rent control, especially in places like New York City. Um, it helped create the slums because if you can't raise the rent, then the owners of the buildings are just not going to put any money into it. Yeah. You know, why, why invest a lot of money and upgrade? And if you can't, you know, the, the market will say charge of, let's say I'm throwing a number here. The market will say that this apartment is worth a thousand a month, but you're only allowed to charge 500 a month. Yeah. Well, there's no incentive at that point for the uh, owner to fix up the place. Yeah, because you, you start losing money. Yeah. And that's what that's what one of the things that's so irritating that Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams articulate so well is well, you're saying that well, it, it it's not about um like from the other side, people are like, Well, it's about you know, they're all about greed, they're all about themselves, they're all about money and profits and everything. It's like, no. It's not always about that. It is also about the fact that if you don't have money, you can't purchase things. Mm -hmm. And it's no different than, you know, just some random guy who doesn't own his own business and a guy who owns his own business. If neither one of them have additional money, uh, like, just income that they can just disposable income that they can put in to make something better or to get something better for themselves. They're not going to spend the money because that money is already allocated for certain things like paying the bills. Well, if you own your own, like you said, you own your own apartment. Well, money is already allocated for certain things. And once you're out of that money, you're not going to go spend and then go in debt to make something better if you're not able to make that money back. Um, and it's it's crazy how, how they, they, they just articulate it so well, so way better than I or you could ever do. But anyways, uh, maybe one day we'll, we'll reach that point uh, once we get uh, into our 70s and 80s, yeah. maybe. Uh, so we'll see. Um, let's talk a little bit about Thomas Sowell, shall we? Let us. For one, I, I want to know how did how did you ex when was the first time that you experienced Thomas Soul? Because I've got my own little story, but it's it's not that glamorous for sure. Well, um, I would notice in the newspaper when I uh, back in the days when I read the Houston Chronicle, I would see some of his columns 
And uh, I mean, I'd read them and okay, they, they seemed pretty good. Um, there was, I think, uh, and I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh quite a bit when I, uh, I, I used to have these jobs where I was driving around all the time. And, you know, between you know, 11 and 2 Central Time, I'd sit, I'd listen to Rush and, and he'd mentioned Thomas Sowell. Um, coincidentally, that's also when I was first introduced to Walter Williams because Walter Williams would be a frequent guest on his show. So I, I just started paying a little bit more attention, a little bit more attention. And then I'd go on YouTube and watch some of his interviews. Um, and I was just mesmerized by the things that he was saying. I was like, this guy's got a lot of wisdom going against everything that I'm hearing on TV right now. How, you know, if, you're, if you don't support affirmative action, you must be a racist. If you don't support... Um, you know, quotas in colleges, you're a racist. Mm -hmm. I, I remember I was listening to uh, a speech that Thomas Sowell was talking about in which he was stating that um, there was like a lot of black men and women, I think he might've said black men, I'm not exactly sure, but, but he was saying that uh, they would be let into MIT and they were put there because they wanted more black people at MIT, but many of them were not prepared for, for a school like, like MIT, that they would have been much better off going to, I don't know, maybe uh, like Howard University. You know, we have Prairie View A&M here in, the, uh, in Texas, Texas Southern University. And what he was saying is, is that when you push people into an institution like at MIT or Harvard, and they're there based on their color and not because of their performance in school, then what's gonna end up happening is they're not prepared for that institution and they're going to fail. And so now you have a person who has spent a lot of time, a lot of money, and they failed, they didn't graduate. They would have been better off having gone to an institution that, that they would be more, that, they're, that, you know, that their intellect was more prepared for. If they, if they insist on going to a black university or any university, maybe they can go like to one of those tier two schools, let them go through there. It's at a level and a pace that they'd be comfortable with. And at least they would graduate. And at least they'd then be able to go out into the world and get a job. Mm -hmm. So it, it was completely different from all the thing, all the things that I'm hearing on TV and in the news about how, you know, uh, you know, with affirmative action, we can put some some people into the schools who ordinarily couldn't get in because maybe their SAT scores were not high enough. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the YouTube really was what uh, shook me. I was able to sit and watch him, and then I, I, I sat and I watched some of the previous videos of him when, say, he was on the Donahue show. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he was always, always saying things that was, uh, I guess you could say against the norm. Is that the right way to say it? Definitely against the norm. And the thing is, is like, it, it's interesting that it's, it, it would be, you know, Thomas Sowell or Walter Williams, or uh, now I guess you could say, you know, uh, Larry Elder um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, Shelby Steele and guys like that um, who are black, but they talk about, the go against the mainstream narrative of these things that are strictly really based on good intentions and not, you know, you're not looking at the data and like, how is this actually 
helping or hindering? Is it helping or hindering? And if it's hindering, maybe you need to readjust it, right? Um, well, the thing is, is, with them being black, it's like, well, you can't call them racist for saying something that goes against the narrative, um, which is sort of empowering for the uh, for people who sort of like look at it from an economic perspective or from the data perspective and say, well, this really doesn't help. In fact, it's doing the opposite. Um, and then we'd be like, oh, yeah, according to who? Oh, according to. And then it is it is helpful for, you know, at least the other side of the conversation. Um, and I don't even think that this is really to an extent like a left right narrative. It is, you know, to an extent it is. But there are plenty of people on the left who also see this as like, this is not, these things are not helping. In fact, they're hindering black people across the board. And there are too many politicians who want to sound nice, who want to sound like they're doing something really good, but they're just signing off on something. And then they don't even look at it once everything starts moving in a certain direction, whether that direction be south, like not good. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, Dr. Thomas Sowell, here's what's interesting about him. He's it, Dr. Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams sort of had a similar upbringing <clears throat> where it was in poverty. Um, and, you know, I know uh, Dr. Thomas Sowell like grew up in, in the, in the South, uh, Jim Crow South. They both, you know, had to deal with Jim Crow. Um, his father, his father died before he was born and his mother died uh, childbirth. Right. Yeah. So, he had to move up. So he was born in the, in the South, but he ended up leaving to live with his great aunt up in, up in the North. And he grew up in Harlem. So he didn't have to deal with um, really just like the J Jim Crow South being up in, up in Harlem. But funny enough, he grew up as, you know, a Marxist. Like he started, yeah. he's like, Marx was the only one even addressing the issues that I personally saw. Uh, no one else was really discussing this, and he, he ended up going to uh, he ended up going to school. I think he went to Harvard, and he taught was taught under. Um, and I think he also then he went to Chicago, uh, the Chicago School of you know was at University of Chicago, and he he was taught under Milton Friedman, and even after being under Milton Friedman for however long he still left school as a Marxist. And the one thing, the thing that turned him away from being a Marxist was spending a summer working for the Department of Labor. Yeah. He said that the, the, the facts, the statistics, the data did not fall in line with his ideological thinking. And he changed his mind. And he became really, you know, a follower of Milton Friedman, who was a follower of Frederick uh, Friedrich Hayek. Yeah, and uh, kind of reminds me of the uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. Yeah, which is where which is you put Thomas Sowell as Aristotle, and then you have Walter Williams, who was a follower of Thomas Sowell. Yeah, that that'd be like Alexander the Great, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, four four <laughs> generations there. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, so it, yeah, he, he, the data did not fall in line with his Marxist thinking. He looked at the evidence, he looked at the facts, and he came to the realization, you know, someone asked him, when did you change your mind? What, or what, what is it that changed your mind from going from a uh, Marxist to what you are now? And he said, 
the facts. And I guess I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he was, I don't know if he ever labeled himself as a, a supply side uh, economist, but uh, I mean, that basically is what he is. You yeah, know, if, he's, if he's following if he's following uh, Milton and, and uh, Hayek, then, then that's where he would uh, fall in line with as a uh, again, I don't know if he ever labeled himself that but that pretty much is what he is. Yeah, that was one of the things is like he was wanting to address I think the minimum wage situation. Mm -hmm. um, and when he brought that up to uh, his, I guess his boss at the Department of Labor. He was like, Yeah, no, we can we can address this it's like because I think and they're like, no, um, what? <laughs> no, you're, and he was like, they thought this guy is going to ruin all of us and we're going to be out of a job and this is not going to work yet. We've got to get rid of this guy. And that's, that's what it is. It's like, as much as the government says, look, we're trying to, you know, make things better and, and help. It's just like, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of things out of maybe even the goodness of your heart. But when you have somebody like a Thomas Sowell come and like shoot all of those things down, your your decision is either, okay, I'm going to accept what this person is saying, or I am going to reject what this person is saying, kick them out and move on, move on about the rest of my life because and and make sure that everybody else is secure in, in their job, uh, which is unfortunately the job of a lot of times making bad decisions for the rest of the American people. You know, there's what a lot of the mainstream media is doing today is uh, silencing Thomas Sowell. They won't, they won't bring him on to any of the oh, interviews. Oh, yeah. I mean, who, who, you know, the, the, the two that I see quite often are Robert Reich and Paul Krugman. And Paul Krugman, I've never seen him get anything right. He's, he's never been right about anything. And yet, uh, yes, I know that he's won a Nobel Prize in economics. Um, I, I don't know what it is that he wrote that got him that prize. But, you know, if Yasser Arafat can win the Nobel Peace Prize, I guess, uh, and Al Gore can win the Nobel Peace Prize, and Barack Obama can win the Nobel Peace Prize, and all three of them didn't do anything yeah, to deserve the it, then I guess Paul Krugman can get a Nobel Prize in economics and yeah. not deserve it. Yeah. No, exactly. And and Robert Reich, he's a communist. I mean, it's like, yeah, he is. Those are the people you're going to bring on. But it's like, I don't think, you know, the, the you know, Fox is not going to bring on Robert Reich and be like, hey, man, what, uh, what plans do you what plans do you have? The difference is one makes sense, um, like from an idealistic Marxist perspective, like, oh, yeah. Um, that makes sense, but when it makes sense to an extent, like on paper, but when it is played out in real life, it is the Thomas Souls and the Walter Williams of the world that their ideas are the ones that actually make sense and are are better for for people, better for you know the the nation or humanity or however you want to put it. One of the things that Thomas Sowell continued to say that really impressed me was and it sort of gave me a little bit of a solace um was the fact that there are no solutions we've got problems but there are no solutions there are only trade-offs what is the best what is the best best decision to make that will most likely benefit people instead of what sounds the best and people will think that oh that's really cool but it actually is least beneficial 
And that's what he's saying. He's like, people want to continue to come up and say, oh, I've got a solution to this problem. It's like, there are no solutions. There are only ways to make things better or make things worse. And you have to fill, you have to trade those things off. The issue with politicians and people like Thomas Sowell, who are economists, you know, philosophic economists are, he is so, he and Walter Williams and people like him are so freaking straightforward that politicians are like, I can't do that. I won't get reelected. Because a lot of times the things that Thomas Sowell advocates for are things that will only come to fruition a few years down the road that you'll actually start to see the benefits of. It's not going to be an immediate thing like a law being passed and everybody like clapping and you have the photo, you know, photography taking place of them signing something and everybody feels good about it. And then we forget, you know, who's who signed this stupid bill after a few years have passed and all hell's broken loose in this particular area. That's the difference is politicians don't want to touch the things that Thomas Sowell is talking about because it's not politically beneficial to them. They won't get reelected, most likely, if they decided to, to, to follow their lead, despite the fact that it's better for the American people. Hmm. Yep, that's, um, I mean, that's, that's in just about everything. You know, anytime you have a politician who brings up something, yeah, the, uh, and I don't know if it's because of social media or the, or the news media, but if you don't see the benefits immediately, it is criticized heavily. I, I have noticed, I have noticed that over the years that yeah. unless it's an automatic and it sounds good and it feels good, then it's going to be criticized. It, it yeah, we're so impatient. It's, it's ridiculous. Like things don't just turn around overnight. That's just not how it happens. It is such a rare occasion. Well, uh, look at what's going on right now with the $15 an hour where they're trying to pass it. Um, I don't know if he signed it, if, if Biden signed an executive order on that, but, uh, you know, and, and Thomas Sowell addressed this. Okay. It, $15 an hour. It's great for the person who already has a job. If they're making, say, $10 an hour, okay, their income just jumped up 50%. But there's going to be a lot of people who are going to lose their jobs over this. And and if you do have that job that, that's now paying you $15 an hour, you're going to see your hours cut. You're going to go from 40 hours to, say, 32 hours. I know this is anecdotal, but I've spoken to some people who have their own businesses and, and they're telling me, and because I'm having discussions, I want to hear what they have to say. They're telling me that we can't keep everybody and we can't make them work 40 hours. It just can't happen. We don't, they don't deserve $15 an hour. We pay them what we think that they are worth. But for 15 an hour, we're going to have to cut their hours and we're going to have to get rid of some people. Otherwise, we're not you know, we're not going to be making that much money in a profit. And we have, you know, um, you know, I remember when my mom had her own business and she had two workers because she needed them, but they were, they were demanding a pretty, 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 you know, higher, higher wage than what was normal for her. She was actually making for herself less money than her two workers after paying all the bills because that was her job. She was the owner. But after paying all her bills, 
at the end of the week, she was taking home far less money than her two workers. And she couldn't do that. So she had to get rid of one of them. Yeah. That's economic reality. You know, uh, if, if you go to a burger place now, I think, uh, was it in Seattle? They're now, it's now automated. They'll get rid of you. They'll put, they'll put a machine in your place. Mm -hmm. It's more cost effective over the long run. Yeah, but whoever's left got paid $15 an hour. Yay, but those yeah. other people don't have a job. Right. That's the difference. It's like, yes, people will get paid $15 an hour, but there will, there will be less, there will be fewer people being paid. Yeah. That's what needs to be understood. It's like the minimum wage is for low-skill labor. Low-skill labor means... Typically, you're out of high school or you're in high school or you're in college and you're trying to, you know, just make a few bucks um, or you just are, are low skill. Maybe you dropped out of high school and you're starting. The thing is, is like people don't look at jobs like Whataburger, Chick-fil-A, um, places like that where it is low skill labor as part of the ladder. It is part of the corporate ladder. You have to learn how to work. And that's one of the things that Thomas Sowell would just continue to hammer. It's like, you are creating these minimum wage laws and therefore you are kicking people out of a job. And typically those are minorities that are the first ones to get kicked out of the job or lose the job. He's saying it's, you know, Milton Friedman brought that up and then I guess they maybe they came across it at the same time, but I remember Milton Friedman. That was the first time um, that I had ever heard that was Milton Friedman saying is the minimum wage law. And this is back in the 70s. But he said that's the most anti-Negro law on the books mm -hmm. because it affects them directly. They're the ones who keep losing the jobs. And so they can't compete. And he also was talking about that with when with the women you know, coming into the workplace. And, and so I remember him talking to this one lady was asking him, you know, you know, equal pay for you know, equal work for equal pay. And he goes, here's the thing. You are requiring that person to discriminate because if he has to choose between a woman and a man, and if he is preferential to a man and he has to pay that person the same exact price, you are requiring that he discriminate against you. And therefore he's going to pick the man. And therefore you can't compete with the man based on gender. But you, if you could say, hey, you know what? I know you're gonna pay Bob 25 bucks an hour. I'll do it for 20 bucks an hour. You can no longer compete because the law now says you can't do that. And therefore he goes, I'm not against you. I'm for you. It's you who are against you. So I thought that was, always pretty pretty clever and like let, let me ask you this question okay so if minimum wage is going to be increased to 15 dollars an hour donald trump had what eleven thousand. he allowed eleven thousand refugees into the country is that the number i don't know biden is now he just signed an executive order that increased it back up to 125,000 refugees a year which is what it was during the Obama years. Now, I'm just wondering what is going to happen when they're going to be cutting jobs because it's $15 an hour 
And then you're going to be letting in 125,000 people into the country per year. You know, that's, uh, that's what, half a million in four years? Mm-hmm. And what's employment going to be like? What's, it, what's the unemployment rate going to be? Because now you're going to have, you know, let, let's just say a quarter. Let's just say a quarter of the people. You have, uh, you have a wife and you have two kids with these refugees. It's just something that I'm thinking of, I've been thinking about. It's like, why would you want, if you're going to, if you're going to raise the price of, of uh, employing somebody where they're going to have to cut some people and then you're going to bring in more people and they're going to want to work or what, or what are we going to be paying for their uh, welfare? I mean, I know that now my, my school taxes are probably going to be going up because now we've got to build more schools. Yeah. And, and I know that this is a fact. That's not just me thinking this. I, I had a conversation with uh, one of the uh, uh, heads of the, um, one of the directors of the uh, Houston Independent School District. But I, I got pissed off one time seeing that they were trying to raise the, the, uh, the tax rate to just below 4% so that it, we didn't have to vote on it. If it's below 4%, you don't have to vote on it. And I called them up and I was like, why do you keep increasing our rates? You can't do that to us. It's not fair. And the lady was like, look, we have all these kids coming into Harris County, into the Houston School District. We, we need to build more schools. And I flat out said, how many of them are legal residents? And she's like, we can't, I can't tell you that. We can't discuss that. That's that's not a subject that uh, that she was allowed to, to discuss. But I said to her, I know why. I know why. It's because a lot of these kids that are coming in here are illegal aliens. They're the kids of illegal aliens. And I know that the Supreme Court is stating that I have to pay for their education. But when you do that, you're raising my tax rates. And, and she didn't disagree, but she couldn't state that that was the obvious. So, right. yeah. Yeah, so it's, you know, all, all this, you know, like you have I, to, I would look the thing is like politicians, they, they have to avoid the obvious and try to come, you know, with some other other method of addressing the situation or the problem. And the common sense people like a Thomas Sowell or Walter Williams is like the, the, the problem is right here. Address this problem and everything else will follow. And that's one of the things that another thing that stood out to me when listening to Thomas Sowell was he was like, don't talk to me about numbers unless you are going to want to bring up per capita. If you don't want to bring up per capita, then then don't give me this, you know, the numbers situation. And I was like, that's true, because there are so many times where like, well, you're you're comparing apples to oranges a lot of times when you're when you're coming up you know and comparing you know groups against groups it's just like well now you're comparing apples to oranges that goes all the way into the like the equal you know equal pay for equal work like the women's you know thing like putting that together it's completely apples and oranges Mm -hmm. it is not oranges to oranges we can we could get on that on on another conversation but yeah, well, I know one of the things also that I've heard, uh, I, I, I thought I've heard both of them discuss this, both uh, Walter Williams and uh, Tom Sowell, uh, is the criticism they have towards the, well, he's one of us, that type of thinking when it comes to leadership. 
they mentioned how some of the worst performing schools are going to be in cities that are run by black leaders. And many of them are like, well, you know, he's black, he's one of us. So he must, he must know, you know, what's good for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, there, there was, uh, there was that video, I don't know if it was one of the ones that you sent me where Thomas Sowell was in his office and a bunch of black militants came into his office and he goes, hello, brother. Yeah. And he slammed his hand down. I'm not your brother. I am Mr. Sowell and you will address me as such. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, he, he, he laid it down. He's like, this is how it's going to be. Because there has to be yeah. an understanding that it's like there is all men are created equal. It's like your 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 race, your skin color, your whatever doesn't doesn't affect anything when it comes to your ability to to work and to think. Nothing, nothing to do with it. And that has got to be an understanding. Just like we we've got to get away from you know tribalism we've got to get get away from everything being political like oh you know well i'm a conservative or i'm a liberal or i'm a libertarian and you just itemize yourself and you're like well and now you create sort of you know i guess battle units and it's just like no it's here here's the thing you're a human being you got a brain in there and i will make certain demands on you if i am your teacher if i am your parent especially <laughs> If I'm your boss, if I'm your friend, I will make certain demands on you. And if you do not meet those demands, then friendship's over or you're going to get kicked out of school or you're going to get fired or you're going to get disciplined at the, at the house. It has nothing to do with your um, biological makeup. Zero. And people want to ignore that and say, no, 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 we've got to we've got to really, really look at this. And you're like, then. If you do that, one of the worries and one of the things that have become very prevalent, I think, is you start going back and, okay, now we're not equal, we're, we're somewhere less than, you know, it goes back to the, the animal form thing, animal form, yeah, we're all equal, just some are more equal than others, yeah. right? It goes to that. And we, it, that's a very, very, very dangerous path to travel and we've been on that thing for quite some time um i have you ever watched uh any of the thomas soul with uh william f buckley on firing line like those old clips uh i've not seen one lately i think i i, I watched one of them i've seen several william buckley um uh, uh william buckley uh, uh videos on youtube but um most of the thomas souls i've seen are more of an interview type but uh, it was not uh, William Buckley. Yeah, I mean, his his stuff on the Hoover Institution is always great. Peter Robinson is probably one of the best interviewers out there. He's just, he's so good. I remember when I first experienced the Hoover Institution and Peter Robinson, and he's asking all of these highly detailed questions to, across the board, every subject. And it's just like, how do you know so much um peter robinson another very impressive individual um but yeah watching watching thomas soul on firing line back in the day uh those are on on youtube it's hilarious man there's one video and it's about um 
and Thomas Sowell's on there with William, William F. Buckley. And it's in regards to women's rights, uh, equal work, you know, equal pay for equal work thing. And it's this older woman and she's a feminist and she's got white hair, but it's like in a beehive. Mm -hmm. This is like in the late seventies, early eighties, right? Do you ever like read some of the comments on YouTube and think to yourself, there are a lot of really, really funny and clever people out in this world. <laughs> Dude, I busted out laughing when I read one of the comments because it was this old white, older white woman, big beehive hair, white, white hair. And the comment was, it sucks that George Washington wasted his one time to go, you know, into the future only to get owned by Thomas Sowell. <laughs> so, so stupid. <laughs> oh, uh, I might I might have to go watch that one. Uh yeah, because she did have sort of the George Washington hairdo. I want to bring up a couple of quotes uh from Thomas Sowell, which there are so many quotes of Thomas Sowell that you could go for years. This is sort of I guess sums up a little bit of what we've talked about with politicians and economists. He said, the first lesson of, of economics is scarcity. There is never enough of anything to fully satisfy all those who want it. The first lesson of politics is to disregard the first lesson of economics. Hmm. You see how like, when it comes to, like I was saying, like you're just able to articulate that <laughs> so much better. It's it it's so true. Um, and we have politicians across the board who just want to disregard economics all, all the way across. And it's just like, well, um, I, I meant well, at least I was trying. We've talked about that a lot where people will make an excuse for their politician. Well, at least they're doing something. At least they're trying. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, like. Oh, I, I hate it when I hear people say he needs to do something, do something. Yeah, I hear that all the time. And I'm like, when you shut up when you do something, because sometimes the something is the worst thing you could do. Right. It's like on but that, it makes it but it makes him feel good. Oh, yeah. Makes him feel, you know, it's it's sort of the whole FDR effect. We're just let's just start doing stuff. Let's see what works. Let's throw all the crap up against the up against the wall, see what sticks. And as much, you know, a lot of damage was done and a lot of socialist things were, were passed and that really opened up the door for socialism to really come in. Anyways, moving on from that, it reminds me a little bit of, did you ever watch the Jim Carrey version of The Grinch You Stole Christmas? No. Well, the mayor, like the Grinch comes down, starts screwing up everything in the town. Um, and so the mayor is like flipping out. And he turns to his the Grinch had already like shaved like through the mayor's head with a like a pair of clippers, right? Mm -hmm. So the guy the guy just grabs the clippers and shaves through his head too to match the mayor. I'm like, that's equivalent. Do something, <laughs> anything, even if it's stupid. No, right, I. The what? I saw, I saw the original uh, cartoon. And that was enough for you, I'm sure. That, that was enough for me. That came out, in the, that was a, uh, uh, 
was it was that that was Dr. Seuss, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure Dr. Seuss uh, approved of that one, the comic one. What do you mean? I don't know if he would approve of anything that came afterwards. Jim Carrey? I don't know. I, I just know that uh, Dr. Seuss and Charles Schultz, uh, that those guys liked the cartoons that came out during their lifetime. Anything after, I don't know. I don't know. Well, you never know. You never know. So I think I think seeing the comic, I think the comic version I, I saw back when I was a child is good enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So anyways, um, last quote from Dr. Thomas Sowell. Some things are believed because they are demonstrably true, but many other things are believed simply because they have been asserted repeatedly. It comes down to, like we've said on this show a number of times, if you say it enough, it becomes true. Yeah. Despite the fact that it's not. Right. I've had debates about like Christopher Columbus. Yeah. And the whole Christopher Columbus thing, um, you know, I, I was having some debates recently and everyone kept regurgitating Howard Zinn over and over again. And, and it was like so predictable. I knew that that was going to happen and I was prepared for them. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you guys keep repeating the same lie over and over from the same person. Several people are going to quote Zen, but, and you're going to quote from those people, but it's all a regurgitation of the same guy. Right. So that falls in line. This quote that you just threw is, uh, is exactly what I witnessed uh, outside, outside of even economics, just about anything in life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Anything. Mm -hmm. So, uh, sadly enough, Walter Williams actually passed away this past December, uh, yeah. this giant of a man. Um, so sad to, to hear. I, I do want to say Thomas Sowell, I think he, he, he was a professor at Cornell University before joining the Hoover Institution, at becoming a fellow at the Hoover Institution over at Stanford University. So he stopped um, his professorship and became a fellow. And so that's why he was really able to to put all those books like that you that you showed i don't know how many books he's written but he's written a ton of books um really just brilliant and obviously he's done a ton of interviews and everything and a ton of research um so now walter williams was an economics professor for a long time over at george mason university um and that was um he said that it was after i think he was studying sociology and he said after he read w.e.b du bois uh black reconstruction that's when he had this light bulb go off that i need to study economics that's what i that's where i need to go into and so that's that's where i guess that impressed him so much was all right i need to go into economics if we at it if black people really want to overcome and move forward, we have to understand economics. We have to understand how to benefit ourselves on the economic basis, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, not to get off topic a little bit, but like the movie Boys in the Hood with Furious Styles when he starts talking to his his son and his son's friend, uh, which would be like- About the liquor stores? Yeah. And he starts saying, he's like, you have to be willing to start your own business and, 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 you know, help each other 
economically. Otherwise, you're never going to get ahead. Yeah. But he, it's a it's a great moment in time where a lot of people need to you know look at that. And be like, that's how that's how you move forward is through economics. And Walter Williams understood that. Um, he was saying he, he said that one of the things that he pinpointed was there was there was a spiritual poverty in sort of across America. And he said, there are people who lack ambition, and they engage in apathy. And it comes down to, well, this is just the way it is. It's, you know, it's my plight in life. Uh, this is how my parents were, it's how my grandparents were. So it is what it is. And you lack ambition. And you look at people like Thomas Sowell, like um, Walter Williams, who grew up in poverty and were so focused and so determined to make something of themselves uh, that they did it. And they did it in a, in a country where you are free to do it, despite the fact that you had some people who did not want you to do it and let it be known that they did not want you to do it and actually did what they could to stop you from doing it especially in the South. Um, and, you know, another one who comes to, to mind as far as a, a, a great like black person in modern American history would be Clarence Thomas. He said he was the first one in his family to learn how to read. You know, that was the main thing. It's like they wanted him to know how to read. That's why they really wanted him to go to school. It's like, you need to know how to read. And there you have it. That was another thing that Thomas Sowell talked about that really made an impact on his life was being introduced at a young age by a friend of his to the local New York library. Like going there really said changed his life. Mm -hmm. um, and there were there were certain people there were like um, Walter Williams talked about one of his teachers who I think one he had he had written an essay you know all the students had written an essay and she came up and she gave his back but not until she tore it up in like four pieces and said rewrite it like being hardcore and saying look i see the potential in you i see what you can become and i i'm demanding more from you and he said that was a pivotal moment in, in his life but that's one of the problems that America is facing right now is a lot of teachers are handcuffed by politicians, state and local governments who say, no, we don't want to, you know, let's make it easy for them to pass. Let's just push these students through. Let's not hold them back. While at the same time, by not demanding more from them, you are holding them back because they will, they, people just move on with the impression that all of life will be like this to where you can just, people are just going to push you ahead. No worries. You'll get the promotion. Even if you suck at your job, doesn't matter. And then people run into this, Oh crap. You know, the real world type of thing. Mm -hmm. It's not yeah. good. Well, you know, I, um, Walter Williams started off as a radical himself. I don't know if he was a Marxist, but he stated uh, that if he was to compare um, himself as a follower of Malcolm X or Martin Luther King, he definitely followed Malcolm X. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the same road that Thomas Sowell went, where once they learned the facts, the data, the statistics, their minds changed. 
And, you know, Walter Williams was kind of a disciple of Thomas Sowell. And, you know, it, it's an unfortunate thing that, uh, that he passed because he was such a great mind. I, I listened to him on the radio quite frequently. Like I said, he was a guest, uh, guest host on the uh, Rush Limbaugh show. And it, it was just fascinating listening to him. He had, he was different than Rush. Rush was very, very opinionated, but, but William, Walter Williams, he always discussed things and he would, he would bring up some of the facts and, and examples. And it, it was, uh, I mean, I, I did enjoy listening to Thomas Sowell a little bit more. There was something about Sowell that I, that I preferred over Walter Williams, but I still was highly impressed with, with, uh, with Walter Williams himself. Another uh, another great mind that uh, that we have lost. So um, I know, you know, I wanted to throw in Candace Owens again. There was a couple of things. Uh, I just want to mention this real quick that falls in line with with what William Walter Williams and Thomas Sowell. Um, I mentioned earlier about how just because he's a black leader doesn't mean he's going to be a good leader. And they were bringing up like if you look at some African nations, uh, Robert Mugabe. Great example of a man who ruined Zimbabwe. You know, Zimbabwe was Rhodesia. Uh, it was the breadbasket of Southern Africa. But, you know, you had a guy that was like, hey, I'm going to do what's best for people, do popular things. And he, he ruined the country. You know, they were out of food. They had hyperinflation. And, you know, it's, it's important. I've heard some people, some of my liberal friends that will call some of these people, especially Candace Owens, they call them white supremacists. And I don't, I don't understand that thinking. They'll, they will sit and say, well, you don't have to be white to be a white supremacist. And I have heard some people label both Sowell and, uh, and Walter Williams as white supremacists. It's, it's like the, the skit from Dave Chappelle, the black white supremacist. It, oh, that that, uh, that that KKK guy. Yeah, <laughs> it's an <laughs> when, actual... when, when he when he found out that his white girlfriend uh, was, dating, right. <laughs> was dating a black man, so he broke up with her. <laughs> uh, unbelievable. That's <laughs> funny. Great, great skin. I love Dave Chappelle. <laughs> I know, freaking hilarious. Oh man. Um, but no, it's, it is, it is really weird. I've had friends of mine tell me like, no, 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 no. You know, Thomas Sowell or Candace Owens or, you know, the Walter Williams, they, they don't speak for us. And like, what do you mean they don't speak for, for you? It's just like, if it makes sense, it speaks for all of us. Yes. And, and that's just it. It's not, it's for them. It's not about black people. It's about everybody in general. You know, um, Thomas Sowell was, was stating that some of the laws that we are passing, some of our policies that we're passing today to help the black man, to help the black people is detrimental. And if you look at every other country in the world, nowhere have they used these principles, did they work? Yeah. Nowhere. There's not a single country that can give you, that there's not one example of a, of a country that, that used the policies that we're pushing here in the United States that worked, yeah. that helped people. And it's not like, a, again, it's not just black people, it's just people in general. And, you know, you and I, Dustin, we, we don't, you know, we want to see every single person who comes here succeed, everybody. 
I don't care what color. I don't care uh, what your sexual orientation or what your creed is. If you abide by the Constitution, which is all we ask of people, abide by the Constitution, and just do whatever you want and, and be a success, be happy, pursuit of happiness. You can do it, but, but you know, you can't follow policies that are going to give you preferential treatment and then expect good results. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the Constitution, that was the, the thing that Walter Williams was just so dedicated to, massively dedicated to Constitution, understanding of the Constitution and teaching the Constitution through an economic lens. Um, speaking of, he actually put together, because we, we talked about, um, you sort of, we hinted at it uh, lightly on race relations between blacks and whites. And Walter Williams actually created a proclamation of amnesty and pardon for anybody of European descent, that they don't have to feel guilty about being white or whatever their ancestors did to black people. And he would give that to, to people or he would just have it up on his, in his, in his office. And it's like, that's, that's pretty like, let's just level the, let's just get this out in the open. I don't care that you're white. I don't care that, you know, whatever. All right, now we can move on. All right, let's move on and we can move on together. Um, all right, so I think that that brings our show to an end. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, if you've never experienced Thomas Sowell or Walter Williams, do yourself a favor this week and go down that rabbit hole. I know I had Alan talk about how he experienced Thomas Sowell. I'll give you mine, how I experienced Thomas Sowell. I somehow, a number of years ago, 10 plus years ago, I guess, I ran across Milton Friedman. And I was like, I had never even heard of Milton Friedman. And I was like, this guy's thought processes are just, my, I could feel my mind opening up to, to new ideas and, and a better way of thinking. And then Thomas Sowell came along and it's like Thomas Sowell is just freaking freight train. He is like destroying people with absolute logic. And I'm like, how does he, how does he memorize all of these numbers and facts and, you know, historical events and matters and all this stuff. And then just like <laughs> over your, um, you know, his, his logic over your emotion, um, your emotional attachments. And it was just like, I, I can't get enough. And really, um, I would say that from a thought process perspective and economic perspective, um, there are only a few people who have made a major impact on my life, especially economically. Um, and I would say those, those top two would be Milton Friedman and Thomas Sowell. Um, just, just incredible. Uh, so yeah, go down that rabbit hole. Uh, as much as you may not like YouTube for a number of reasons, there are still so many great sources on YouTube. So go check that out. All right, Alan, where can people find? Well, actually, before we end, I got those little flipped. We always like to end on a scripture. And I like to think that this scripture passage relates a lot to Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams. This is from Ecclesiastes 9, 15 and 18. It says this, now there was found in it a poor wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no man remembered that same poor man. Then said I, 
Wisdom is better than strength. Nevertheless, the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Well, I mean, isn't that like really what we have been talking about? How politicians just want to disregard what these guys are saying? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're the excluded. They're excluded. You don't hear about them. Right. And this is like 2000 plus years ago, man. This is like 2,500. This is a long time ago that this is being stated. And it is true today. The words of wise men are heard in quiet, like what, you know, on an individual level, like what you and I have experienced with uh, Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams, more than the cry of him that rules among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Um, that's to an extent the way I see Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams. And watching that Walter Williams video that I mentioned earlier that suffer no fools, that's one of the things that they say at the end It's like there's there are going to be people who have never heard of Walter Williams. They never heard of Walter Williams, and yet they will continue to utilize his his thoughts um, moving forward. There was there was something I was reading um, on this. Last, I'm not even going to be able to find it, but this intellectuals and society actually echoes this very thing It's like the the brilliant people in the world the brilliant people in the world you may have never heard of them but their ideas and their thoughts still permeate throughout society and people pick those things up and carry those through it's sort of like what you said with socrates plato aristotle and frederick hayek milton friedman thomas Sowell. it's going to continue to to move through and a lot of people won't even know where these ideas and thoughts came from but they will have come directly from these yeah. people. yeah it's kind of like uh this guy named mo green you know he built a city but there's no statues there's no streets named after him the other flat one mo green <laughs> godfather okay uh where can they find us? They can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, um, no longer on Twitter. Uh, we, we have created accounts on, uh, what is it? The, is it Gab, CloudHub, MeWe? <laughs> <laughs> and Rumble. And yes, and we are on Rumble. We're on Rumble. And so, we're, you know, we're, we are going to build up on those. You'll mainly find us on right now, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. Yeah. But we will be on those other platforms. We have accounts, we just need to start building up on them. Uh, but we also have our very own website, www.thesonsofhistory.com. That's right. Great Remember stories. You your shirts, you can buy your t-shirts. Yeah. And your hoodies and your coffee mugs. So check it out. I can't believe we're selling hoodies. What do you mean? I don't wear hoodies. So I do. You do? Yeah, I got a couple of hoodies. Hmm. I just don't, don't see really, as a hoodie thing. Don't really wear them very much, especially because it's always hot here, but yeah. Yeah. Well, t-shirts, mugs, yes. Hoodies, not so much. Not after I saw that idiot congressman wearing a hoodie in the floor of the uh, House of Representatives. Really? One guy who said that Guam was going to flip over if there are too many troops stationed there. 
<laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I must have missed the hoodie though. Uh, it was when that uh, Jerry when, when that when that kid got he started beating up that uh, security guard guy and the security guard shot him. Yes, the Trayvon Martin. Trayvon Martin, that's the one. Yeah. That one, yeah. Right. Anyway, so yeah, so you can uh, like I said, good note to end up. Yeah, yep. So and then uh, you got your uh, Thursday night live chats. I watched the last couple. I've I've enjoyed watching your Thursday night chats on Instagram. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. So You're welcome. Hopefully one day you'll be able to get back to your Tuesday nights because those are always really good. So well, it's, it's they're not going to be on uh, they're not going to be on Facebook anymore. Uh, I'm going to YouTube. You can be better. Yeah. 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 So they'll be they'll be on YouTube and then I'll just plop them onto Facebook because we're not gaining anything from Facebook at all. Yeah. And they're you know I've already right now right now I still can't even do a live video. It's really because weird. of because of a picture I posted that had the Star Wars characters standing on the steps at the end of the first movie that came out in '77 when they're all getting their awards. Yeah. Comparison of that and and what went on at the Capitol Hill. And they they said it violated community standards. I mean, for crying out loud, <laughs> freaking Facebook. I mean, I've got I've got liberal friends that sit and talk about killing Republicans. We need to kill all the Republicans, yeah. and that's allowed to stay. Mm -hmm. You know why? Well, because I know why. It doesn't go against their guidelines. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's amazing, man. We live in a sick world, and yeah, it's that's why. That's why that's why I call it fascist book. Oh yeah, fascistable. Yeah, run by Marx, Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah, beautiful, nice, well played. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, well that brings our show to an end. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. I know that I did, and I'm quite certain Alan did. Yes, I love talking about Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams. Those guys, like I said, every time I listen to them. I feel smarter. I Absolutely. feel like, and it's not just feelings, it's actual. It's actual uh, things are getting that's right. your brain. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah, awesome stuff. All right, ladies and gentlemen, go get your mind uh, uplifted and expanded and become smart and brilliant like me and Alan. Okay. Exactly. Uh, yeah, whatever. All right. See you later, everyone.